You see, people collect all kinds of things. New, old, priceless, worthless. Darling, it doesn't matter what. I simply must know why. Those mothballs shouldn't get to keep all the secrets. This is the Mothball Prophecies. Today we are joined once again for the second part of this installment of our new BFF from TikTok, Billy Billy B. This episode we're going to dive into a little bit more of what her claim to fame on TikTok is and also all the other antiquities in her life that are more important than Pyrex to her in her daily life. Welcome back. Hello. We were, um, last week when we interviewed, we were getting ready to go live and we were having such a good time talking to you. I was like, I don't want to go. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like we waited to the last possible minute and All then right. it was like, damn it. Yeah. All right. So thanks for coming and sitting back down with us again this week. Literally anytime. On another Sunday and we all got a restful night's sleep. <laughs> so I actually did. You did. So. Jill's running the ship for <laughs> My the jealousy rest of us. overflows right now. <laughs> yeah. My, oh, uh, my son woke up at 10 to 6, ready to party, ready to go. And then as I'm filled with sleepy, tired rage, he puts his little tiny hand on my face and goes, Hi, mama. <laughs> And I went, hi. I told you, that's why they're little demons. And then he goes, a sun awake? And I said, no, the sun is not awake. <laughs> the sun is still sleeping. Go mm-hmm. back to bed. So when you buy oh. blackout blinds, you close those things. And you're like, the sun ain't going to be awake for a few more hours, dear. <laughs> yeah. There's like these little clocks you can get that are like wake up clocks. Oh, yeah. So like, it's time to wake up. My, my son would literally sit up and just flip it off <laughs> and be like, mom, I'm up. I'm up. I love my child. How old is your Don't son? Don't get me wrong. He will be three. That is my favorite age. Oh, my God. Today, he was jumping on his little uh, trampoline. And he goes, Dad, singing and dancing, singing and dancing. (laughs) (laughs) I just looked at my husband and I was like, where did he learn that? (laughs) Singing and dancing. And he's like wiggling his body. It's my favorite. Oh, my God. Who knows? Speaking of favorite things, Mm -hmm. we, when I first saw you on TikTok, I talk about seeing that Pyrex vid. Jill is our in-house Pyrex lover. So when this this connection happened, (laughs) I felt like the most important matchmaker. (laughs) Because I was like the best friend matchmaker. We got we got Jill her Pyrex person because I've had my Victorian people on. You have. I mean, I am also a Victorian person, so which has also been a double whammy. I just feel like the other Pyrex people are like, ooh, no, they're scary. They're sc- we're scared of them. <laughs> Why oh. does she have sleeves and say <laughs> she likes Pyrex? <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you about, for those, since you are the queen of the knowledge with this, <laughs> for the people who have never come across Pyrex, they have no idea what it is. Will you tell us what Pyrex is? Yeah, sure. Please? So- I got you. So <laughs> Pyrex was originally patented as a product called Nonex, um, and it was used for rails, railway signaling. So back when um, railway signaling was flame only, this is before they had electrified everything on the on the train routes, um, they would 
turn with gas on and off the flames. They needed glass to sit on top of those flames that would be able to withstand the thermal shock. Um, the lead in the glass was kind of a formality. That's just how glass was made back then. But it also had high refractive properties. So they were like, this is the best thing that ever happened. Um, a couple of people took notice of it. They were like, that's kind of cool. We'd love to do something with that. And all of the creators went, no, <laughs> you can't have it. <laughs> you cannot have it. And they they patented it in the late 1800s. Uh, in 1915, Pyrex came about specifically because of <laughs> capitalism. Um, <laughs> let's be real. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 capitalism. And they were like, we should probably take the lead out of this because um, that hurts people. <laughs> and so Pyrex came out as non-X minus the lead. Um, And it was originally used because a bunch of housewives were like, I want to bake a cake. But my oven's too hot. But I want to see it. (laughs) But I want to see it and my oven's too hot. Um, All the glass out at that time could only bake up to about 320 degrees. And then it would either melt or shatter or do some other crazy stuff or fuse itself with whatever you were baking. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So they looked at Non-X and they were like, hey, that can withstand direct flame. Let's go ahead and take the lead out of it. And look, baking utensils. That was in 1915. Uh, the first clear Pyrex came out in 1915. And 1919 is when they started putting the stamp on everything. Um, and that's that really cool Pyrex with it looks like to a normal human just walking by like a dollar sign. And that only went from 1919 to 1924. So if anybody has a clear Pyrex dish, flip that shit over um, and mm-hmm. look for that because it's very, now I wouldn't say valuable, but it is rare um, because they were used like workhorses and you can't find a lot of them because they're either still in families and they're being passed down through generations. So they'll never go up for sale or people have just broken them. Um, yeah. Pyrex went on from there. Um, a lot of clear Pyrex up until about the 1930s when milk glass started being a thing. Uh, but the big milk glass boom happened from 1940 to 1985. And Pyrex oh, kind of... Oh, that long? Yeah. Wow. They totally ran the market with that. Um, they had other I guess ca- when I think of milk glass, I don't ever think of it going to and that's the 80s. Right. That's of course a huge it did. Mis- yeah, that's a huge misconception because people all the time think, oh, milk glass. And But what happens is you have to kind of dig with people who are like, oh, milk glass from my childhood. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. When were you born? And a lot of times they'll be like, oh, I'm Gen X. I'm like, oh, interesting. So you were born and you remember your parents owning new Pyrex. And then it kind of goes ding. And I was like, but your grandma also owned Pyrex too, huh? Ding. And I was like, there it is. Like your grandma bought her Pyrex in like the 1950s, early 1960s. And your mom bought the Pyrex that you use at home, uh, usually in the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so that's where we stand now. Pyrex has had uh, clear glass that entire time. Um, the patterns have become, of course, as Joe well knows, an extreme obsession for collectors. Um you, you can still find Pyrex today. However, it's completely different from the Pyrex of yesteryear. Pyrex back in the day is borosilicate. Um, in 1998, Pyrex got sold off to Corel Brands. And uh, Corel Brands was like, yo, uh, glass is dumb and it costs a lot to make borosilicate. So we'd rather make things out of soda lime glass instead. <laughs> Um, so now all the Pyrex you get today is made out of soda lime glass. Um, while it is more physical shock resistant, it's not nearly as thermal shock resistant. So all the horror stories you see about people being like, my Pyrex shattered on my countertop. It's because y'all have 
the soda lime glass Pyrex that you can just buy at Target. And the only way to tell the difference between the two is if it is capitalized Pyrex, it's pre-1998 and you are cooking Ooh. on borosilicate. If it is all lowercase Pyrex with the weird, fun- I hate the font, weird funky letters, it is soda lime glass. And that is the quickest way you can tell old Pyrex from new Pyrex. That makes sense because my grandma, when she'd make her cobblers, she would put it on the burners and let it cook underneath. She's like, she swore up and down, this is how to make the best cobbler. And she would do that. She'd cook it on there for a little bit and then she'd throw it in the oven. I did the same thing. (gasps) Mine shattered. With new Pyrex? So what your grandma probably had, I guarantee it, she probably had something called vision wear. So um, did it have a tent to it? Um, Or was it clear? Like brown? I was do. it brown or purple or green? I want to say it was brown. So she had vision wear. And what that is, is that's actually a completely different glass. Um, <laughs> vision wear is able to be used on the stovetop and also able to be baked in. So it's kind of an answer to cast iron um, because cast iron was taking off right around when vision wear became popular. And so the way Corning Incorporated, it's called Corning Incorporated now, but back in the day it was Corning Glassworks. The way they work as a company is they see a niche and they immediately fill it with a new Mm -hmm. product. And it just keeps kind of dominoing from there. So Vision, um, Visionware was pretty much an answer to a giant, like, I guess... I want to say boom, but I mean, cast iron has been around forever, but there was a new interest in cast iron within the stay at home household. Um, and Corning was like, we can't have that. Um, and then no. produced visionware instead. Oh. So you can move that from the stovetop under a direct flame and then move it into the oven. So is that like um, what I'm envisioning in my head of visionware is <laughs> like the brown glass, like pots and pans yeah. and stuff. Okay, okay. Yeah. 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 You saw them a lot, a lot, a lot in the late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when it became a thing. Uh, visionware is still made today. You just don't see it in the U S a lot because it's produced in Canada and it's produced in mm-hmm. Europe. Wow. So yeah, they don't sell it in the American market. Uh, you can special order it from any of the American catalogs. Uh, you just have to ask when you call in um but also canadian pyrex canada had a really big pyrex warehouse for a long time and it's still there it still stands and they run product through it but they don't make anything in it anymore um but they still produce uh european pyrex which is still made of borosilicate and same thing uh it has all caps on pyrex and that division of pyrex is not owned by corel brands that was my next question. I was going to say, is it like, um, like my only reference that I can think of right now is like the Fender Guitar Company. Yeah. When it split, like it has yeah. the different names. It's still under the name of Fender, but it's not the original. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah. Way to, go. Way to connect that. Thank you. Yeah. No, that's exactly what it is. And people all the time go Corel Brands. Pyrex sold to Corel Brands, but Corel is a Corning product. And I'm like, yes, you are also correct. Corel split from Corning in, um, well, it finalized in 2000, but in 1996. So, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that was a fun time. Um, they took Corel and uh, created Corel brands, and then Corel brands sold to World Kitchens in 2000. Um, and in that two year time gap between 1998 and 2000, they moved all of Pyrex's uh, US manufacturing detail over to soda lime glass instead of borosilicate. And that's why you have what you have now. And you have exploding pans. So, well, and I always think of Corel as like the white dishes mm-hmm. with the gold 
flowers. Yes. Which my son has a coffee cup and he go, my copy? <laughs> my copy cup? I love that. Cause, and he has Corel because I know if he drops it, right. we're yeah. going to be all right for a little bit. At least the first couple drops. <laughs> first yeah, couple I actually ones. just did a video on Corel uh, yesterday. I saw it this morning. Yeah, I saw and it this morning. If you looked at the comments, it was kind of hilarious. There were so many people that were like, "Well, then, how in the world did I shatter my Corel?" And I was like, "It's not that you shattered your Corel because Corel is bad. It's that you're really good at dropping dishes because any uh-huh. glass that you drop on the floor is gonna break." You guys. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I well dropped there's it like and the tempered glass and like windshields, car windows, mm-hmm. everything like mm-hmm. that has one good hit in it where it's not going to shatter. Mm -hmm. And then if you hit it again, it's going to explode into a million pieces, which is what it's designed to do because million little pieces don't fuck you up as bad as gigantic shards of glass. Correct. Yes. Um I'm pretty sure that's exactly (laughs) what they said when he was pitching it to the (laughs) manufacturers. One hundred percent. I'm so glad that you are a fly on the wall. A direct quote. It's a family line that I don't talk about often is yeah, tempered glass. Yeah, yeah, no, the You're very the, passionate about the it. glass that Corel is made out of is called vitrell. And it is um, the one layer of, of tempered milk glass in the middle and then two two frames of clear glass on top uh, or one on the bottom, one on top. Wow. What that does huh. is there's a little tiny division between all the pieces of glass. You can't see it. It's laminated. But what uh-huh. happens is when it hits the ground, the reason it doesn't instantly shatter, that. it transfers all of the shock, um, which you can't get in ceramic and you can't get in Pyrex either. Mm-mm. So Corel is pretty much uh, an invention to fill the market because there were a lot of creators out there with really good glass ideas who were making drop-proof glass and... They went, uh-uh. So they made Corel, but um, Corel originally wanted to have their own designs, and Corning went, hell no. Um, and Corning was like, if we give you guys your own designs, what will happen is everybody will think that Corel is, am- or, yeah, Corel is amazing and get rid of all their Pyrex. So they gave Corel three patterns to start with from the Pyrex line so that people would just fill their entire house with Corel. Oh, wow. Oh. So, because it matched their Pyrex and right. wouldn't get rid of their Pyrex. And then they can just keep buying stuff. Capitalism. Oh, they're so smart. Jerks. You did it again. Masterminds. Masterminds. But yeah. When did, I feel like you would know this fact. What's up? When did the resurgence and the boom of modern day collecting of Pyrex really take off? Do you know that? There's about three of them, unfortunately. Oh, cool, uh, cool, cool. <laughs> it, funny <laughs> enough, uh, it, it comes into play with another part of my life. Um so do you remember, this is more of a Jill question than anything, because this happened, Sam, when you and I were a lot younger. Jill, do you remember when Dita Von Teese hit the scene yeah. after marrying Marilyn Manson? I love yes. Dita Von Teese. Yeah. Yes, so do. right after that happened, there was a huge boom, a giant boom in collecting mid-century modern things from people who were of a younger generation. Because, I do remember that. Yeah. Yep, because the burlesque boom happened then, mm-hmm. too. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sideshow rockabilly all that stuff started taking off again as well and there was a renewed interest in mid-century modern everything so people were like i love this aesthetic i want my kitchen to be this aesthetic and now instead of having your aunts and grandmothers buying up all this pyrex to finish their collections now you've got a younger generation buying mm. all of this up to complete their mental aesthetic that they want right mm. so early which explains the the gradual rise in pricing because Jill's generation and our generation now have our own money mm-hmm. 
to freely spend on glassware. Yes. Wow. And resell as well, which yeah. is another thing. There's yeah. there's been a renewed interest uh, in the in the late 80s, early 90s. There was no interest in rehabbing anything. Um, because there was an economic boom in the 80s that everybody had new money and so they wanted mm-hmm. new items because they grew up mm-hmm. not having any of that. Um, so the idea of buying something old was just like, what? No, we only buy new things. Mm-hmm. Well, then those people had kids. How you doing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we now look even farther past and with the retro boom, we were like, well, now we want to rehab everything and you get people like Chip and Joanna Gaines who market to um, middle America with their mm-hmm. rustic reinterpretation of the past. And then you have a resurgence of, uh, I hate saying this, but the, the capitalist glorification of America from the late 40s, early 50s, post-war mm-hmm. that happened mm-hmm. at the same time. So there were three major booms, but the early 2000s boom kind of did it in for the pricing of like Pyrex in general. Yeah. Like that's yeah. why I can't find a pink gooseberry four bowl Cinderella set for under three hundred and fifty dollars. Right? Wow. I was bidding on one yesterday again because I'm a glutton for punishment, <laughs> and I was like, "Why is this happening to me?" If I ever come across it in the wild, it's going straight to your house. Oh my god! Please, for the love of shit, please! <laughs> like I please, <laughs> I was so mad because I was. It was like you have thirteen minutes left on this. I was like, yes, yes, and then some asshole just like. So they always do it this way too. Swooped in and bid so high that all of my subsequent bids were rejected. And I was like, you know, uh, I'm gonna I find you. I'm gonna find you. Yeah. I'm gonna steal your bowls. Cause I, I Yeah. Well, and I wonder, you know, I see stuff like that happen or I see people out in the wild like gathering up all of the glassware they see is Pyrex specifically. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, do they all resell? Or are they all collectors? Or is it just this mix of some crazy chaos of both right now? It's a crazy chaos. I will say 75% are resellers. About 25% are, I I don't want to say genuine collectors, but honestly, yeah, collectors that will show off what they have and either use it or like, you know, give it a home to look at. But there's a huge war on TikTok right now that I unfortunately have been uh, pinned in the middle of, which is... You're the Joan of Arc, the Joan of Pirates. (laughs) Well, no, it's also... So so I had... I made a lot of TikTok friends before I... I hate the phrase blew up. I hate that phrase. But before I blew up, I don't know, before people noticed who I was. popularity. Yeah. And I was friends with Eric, the vintage hunter. And I was friends with, um, you know, Vintage Bill. And I'm friends with Obscura Oddities. And... All these people who their entire livelihood is based off of what they say is rescuing things, mm-hmm. refurbing them, and reselling them. And the person who's most well known for taking Pyrex and reselling it is Eric the Vintage Hunter. And it never fails. We both get a couple of messages a day from people pitting us against each other. Eric, why are you taking this Pyrex out of circulation and reselling it to rich old white ladies? And they'll come to me, Billy, your talents are wasted. Why aren't you reselling? You complain about not having money, but you won't go out and you won't resell Pyrex. 
I was like, Eric and I are two completely different people. We're also very good friends and we live in different parts of the country. Eric can do that because the Pyrex that he is saving does have problems. And the Pyrex he is doing, he is rehabbing that Pyrex and reselling it barely above what he spent to rehab it. Mm-hmm. I live in Philadelphia. If I went out and tried to buy Pyrex and resell it right now, that's irresponsible because I live in a very um, culturally diverse area where people rely on going to the thrift stores mm-hmm. to be able to buy daily necessities. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take their daily necessities away for my selfish wants of making a quick buck. Eric lives in a very affluent area where if he didn't save that Pyrex is going in the trash and people don't right. understand context. Mm-hmm. Well, we've we've talked about this a lot on the show, which is there's some stores in our area that have successfully gentrified themselves Ugh. outside of being helpful. And so much so that we are we're we're talking with one of these problem stores right now about different things they can do to not do that. Yeah. And um it's I it's one of the things that makes me like the most irritated is because the one it's anyways, we've talked about it at length before this, but it is one of the things I want anybody listening. And if they've come from the TikTok side of the world, being a reseller, isn't just finding something and listing it. There are so much in between when somebody's getting something and when somebody's listing something that it is a full to part-time job just to list successfully. Yeah. Yeah. Or and to be, yeah, mm-hmm. it is a lot of work and it's a lot of know-how. And this is the issue we're kind of running into right now with this modern resurgence of resellers is they just go, oh, I found this. Like I have a piece of California pottery that's on my desk. And there's a bunch of people that would find that at a thrift store and instantly put it up for sale on Instagram. There's not really, I mean, there's a market for California pottery, but not... I mean, I need the piece more because I can't afford by myself to go out and buy this piece on its own or a little some trinket dish for my desk. I don't have that opportunity. And I think a lot of people there, like they look at me and just assume I want all my Pyrex on auctions. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, I don't. I literally don't pay more than maybe $15 a piece. 100%. I don't like to spend. Spend like that kind of money, like especially on something that's used and stuff like that. Like to me, it's more of excitement that if I get it for like a lower price because nobody wanted it, I'm bringing it home. Right. And I don't. And you are the same. And I assume that you are the same, also, Billy. I don't collect things for their value. Correct. I collect them first and foremost if they are useful in my household. I have a small house, and. I can't just have a bunch of shit, you know? And the second thing is, does it tell a good story to me? Is it special to me? Mm -hmm. I don't collect something because I'm going to be like, oh, I can't fucking wait for somebody to walk into my house and see all my Pyrex. (laughs) Be like, yeah. Yeah, no. No. No, and then people, like, I don't buy every single piece of Pyrex I see. Like, I don't, if I don't have a use for it, I won't buy it. Mm -hmm. And I've bought in Pyrex and I'm like, why in the hell did I buy this? I'm never going to use it. Yeah, it doesn't sing to me. I don't use um, a mass majority of my Pyrex. I literally have it because I sound like Marie Kondo. Uh, (laughs) It brings you joy. I like looking at it. And people are like, there's a, I don't know if you went on TikTok. I don't know how deep you scrolled into my TikTok. I have a video that's literally a PSA. And we talked about it on here. It was Mm -hmm. value does not equal, you know, good. Mm -hmm. I saw it. Yeah. And 
I had to tell people this and I, I keep saying this over and over again and nobody understands this and it never fails. Mm-hmm. It never fails. I get about 50 comments a day. How much is this worth? Mm-hmm. And do I know the answer? Of course I do. Mm-hmm. Am I going to answer it? Absolutely not, because that is not why I'm here. Dang it. I'm like literally here. I talk about I am the history Pyrex lady. I'm going to tell you the history of the item. And because I get so excited about the history of items, people, I guess, in their head assume that that automatically means it has monetary worth. And then they get hateful in the comments going, I found 10 of these on eBay and they're like $10. You have no idea what you're doing. I was like, I never said how much it was. I know Mm -hmm. exactly where to find it. I know who to buy it from. I have Pyrex plugs. Don't sit here for a second and don't think I don't. (laughs) But, you know, we're talking about... um the the value of things yeah i don't I am don't. i excited when i find something that has a high value absolutely. no absolutely for sure but if that was the sole purpose of my collecting i would be very 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 unhappy and every exhausted time I you would be oh, yeah. like exhausted because every time. you'd be on the hunt constantly mm-hmm. i feel bad for eric i honestly feel bad for eric the vintage hunter he this poor man he goes live once or twice a day thrifting and he has talked multiple times about how this wasn't originally his job he just found that he was good at it and he was like i love it And he's like there's some days man where like i find zero joy in this because Mm -hmm. people can be so nasty and he's like he has a storefront where he resells furniture that he's refurbished like stuff that was about to get tossed in the dumpster he has an entire storefront and people don't look at the the background of what it takes to keep that store up and running and the amount of thrifting and then back in time, refurbing all of that to make it ready for sale. With COVID, he is only open, I think, two times a month, once or twice a month. Wow. It's like one or two weekends a month. And that is it. And you have to line up around the block for it. And he sells out almost every single time. And the build up to that every month, you can see in his posts, he progressively just is like, we got to hustle and I'm over here and people are like, you should resell. I'm like, you can't pay me enough to resell. You can't. I have a 50 hour a week job. I was like, if I didn't have my 50 hour a week job, would I? Maybe, maybe, but I, that's not the reality I'm living in right now. Mm -hmm. And talking about worth and whatnot, he feels terrible about that too. He, a lot of his videos are, he just did one on a Hazel Atlas glass, some Mm -hmm. shot glasses. They were 99 cents each. And he's like, I could resell these for $12 a pop, which is completely true. And that is a very good price for those because I've looked them up on eBay and they go for like $24 a pop. So he's being very cognizant of what's going on. Mm -hmm. But in that case, he has to literally factor in his livelihood behind Mm -hmm. everything he touches. And I just couldn't, (sighs) I'd also want to hang on to everything. And my house is only so big. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no way. No way. Yeah. That's, that's the other problem. I just want to keep it all. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. I'm a magpie that way. <laughs> oh, you collect shiny things? I, if it's shiny, I will grab it. It's shiny. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm the same yeah. way. <laughs> I just want, I want that. I want the thing. thing. Yeah. I know my husband's always like, why'd you get that? And I'm like, mm, mm. it was cute. It was pretty. It spoke to me. It chose well, me. So, like, yeah. Speaking right, of things that like. Um, like bring you joy but aren't like that like one of the pyrex collections in my collection and this may get me canceled is i have the cinderella set is it two or three balls that i have i think i think i'll have to look but i have the amish butter print the turquoise amish butter print but i one of my things is like i love it but is it my favorite no 
Like if I were to get rid of any of my stuff, that that would probably be the first set to go because I would love to have the second size of the black snowflake. Mm -hmm. Like, because that's one of my favorites. Or I have the primary, like the square fridges. Mm -hmm. I have two of the fridges and then the bigger, like little, not, it's not a casserole dish. What is it, Billy? Like, it's like this size. Which is it oval or circular? um, It's the rectangle, rounded rectangle uh, primary. Which color would that be? Blue? Red. Red. I think. I think. It's upstairs. (laughs) Go get it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Go get it. No, I see. I keep a catalog. People don't understand. I literally have a catalog on my phone of everything. I love that. No, it's not good. That's bad. You're supposed oh. to be like, Billy, you're insane. Billy, delete it. Get I'm it. over here like, that's a really good idea. I'm I keep a catalog on my phone mostly because, so I'm really good with dates and I'm really good with like general factoids and why mm-hmm. something looks the way it looks. But if you get specific like that, where you're like, within this thing, you already know in a date range, you already know. And all the colors, you already know which color was this out of the four dishes. I'm like, right. My brain works uh, in the the images of text and numbers when mm. I'm remembering something. Like, well, at work, every hair color I've ever done on somebody's head is not written down. Oh, generally. No. It's just in my brain. So when somebody sits down, I go, oh, we did. I was X, right. Y, it's Z. yellow. Yes. Yellow. Okay. So I'm looking at, I found a picture too. So I have the yellow, the blue, and um, the red fridgy. Do you have both the reds? I did until my shit ass cat knocked one off the fridge <laughs> on the top of the fridge. That R.I.P. No business. But I kept the um, the little topper. I was about to say, do you, you should get the Amish butterprint fridges just to say you do. I do have <sighs> those. Oh, there you go. Yeah, she got them at the same sale. Hey. Yeah, and I yeah, and I took the scratched up bowl Bless just you. because I literally was like, that would be a good potato salad bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Whatever you got to do. I know. Well, and I like I grew up collecting glassware by proxy. Like my grandmother, I'm the only granddaughter, and so she collected pink Pyrex for, or not Pyrex, pink depression glass for me. <laughs> the whole time I was growing up, so I have the pink me. princess pattern, yeah. like two or three boxes, and she was just like, when I moved into my own house, she's like, oh, by the way, I got this for you, and I was like, what the shit? You're like, what am I gonna do with this? And me I wonder, and I wonder when. Yeah, I wonder when the resurgence of glass comes from. Let's talk about Fenton because it's one of my new obsessions. I have a couple of, um, I have, okay, speaking of the same grandma, I was in the shower this morning. I was like, I have to remember to ask Billy this question. I was, I have a red vase that mm-hmm. is Fenton glass. Yep, give it to me, Sam. But it glows me. under a black light. Yes, what it is does. making it glow? Is it cadmium? No. It's uranium. <laughs> no, not cool. Um, not cool, man. Not cool. Uh, can so you... I have that one, and then I have a uranium bud vase that's vintage. Um, so with your with your red piece, um, have you looked at whether it has a sticker or a stamp by chance? Do you want me to go get it? Yeah. Okay, talk to Joe. <laughs> I'll be right back. Go get it. We're all gonna have a lesson. I know. I'm really excited for this lesson. <laughs> I, Jill, she can't hear me, can she? No. I hate vintage. God damn it. I hate Fenton. I hate Fenton. I love Fenton. I love the history of Fenton. I think it is evil. I think it's a very weird capitalist conundrum that happened with Fenton. God damn it. I hate Fenton. I hate dating Fenton. 
Jesus Christ, Fenton was never supposed to be a thing. Fenton was never supposed to be a thing. People made it a thing. And, uh, the history <gasps> of Fenton is so convoluted and fucked. It is so fucked. Um, it makes me irate because it was never supposed to be a collector item. But when you had the Great Depression and everybody's wage gap happened, mm -hmm. all the rich people were getting Fenton at the carnivals and said, this is a poor people thing and we're throwing them in dumpsters and then poor people would dive. Yeah, they would dive for Fenton. So here we go. We're about to find out if this is a dumpster dive piece. Oh my. That's what we're figuring out right now. All right, flip that sucker over. Let's go. So I was <laughs> flip it over. My husband's like, "Are you done?" And I was like, "No, nah, I'm just not even things. close." <laughs> so the only sticker on the bottom is the price tag that says six dollars. Okay, there's like a major glare on it, but you don't have any. Can you look? <laughs> you're gonna hate me. Can you look down into the bottom of the top? Oh, yeah. Hold on. Or also get the get the price sticker off of it. Yeah. Is there an F in there? Hold on. Sorry. Turn my flash. It's I'm an literally. asshole. I know. No, I love this. I can't tell. Probably not, because it looks like it was... I think it's a reproduction. Yeah, it looks Maybe? like it's pulled glass. Hold on. We're about to find out. Everybody now. What are we doing? I don't think it has any markings. Okay, cool. Can you... And it doesn't have anything on the bottom? Uh -uh. Either one of them? No. And this one has mold marks, the bottom. Fun. So, so you can tell where it was pressed. Yeah. Okay, yeah. These pulled. are both pulled and pressed glass pieces. Um... So, sorry, it's either, you're going to hate me. Okay, so, Sam, while you were gone, I was going on a rant with Jill about how much I, and you can leave this in the recording for everybody, because <laughs> I've said it on TikTok and I'll say it again. I hate Fenton. God damn it, I hate Fenton. I freaking hate Fenton. I love Fenton for the, the they caught on late, I'll say that. I hate dating Fenton. More than anything in the world. Because Fenton was never supposed to be a high-end mm -hmm. glass product. It was never supposed to be a thing. It was never supposed to be something that people pass down to their kids. It mm -hmm. was literally originally produced as a fucking carnival prize. Or Yeah, could, we've talked about this mm -hmm, before. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and what happens is what, what, when the Great Depression occurred, um, the wage gap difference was so huge that rich people took one look at Fenton and they were like... Mm, poor people stuff and threw it in the dumpster. So people mm -hmm. between 1930 and 1945, because the war happened right after that, were dumpster diving for Fenton and wow. keeping it. And the reason Fenton survived, no lie, the reason Fenton survived in such mass numbers from over a hundred years ago is because poor people dumpster dived. You know, I wonder this. It's funny that you say that in a way of irony. My grandmother who gave this to me, grew up very, very, very poor, mm -hmm. like made her own clothing poor. And she has always collected Fenton and carnival wear and all of that stuff. And yours are from and the I 30s. And I wonder, I'll have to ask her, I wonder if it's because of it was seen as a sign of affluence in the middle class. It Accessible affluence, is that a thing? It was. So the two pieces you have are from the 30s. Wow. So, and the reason I know that is because you don't have a stamp. So Fenton, to mark their stuff, never thought it was going to go anywhere. So they just mm -hmm. use adhesive stickers. But because people were actually using the glassware, the stickers fell off when things were washed. Um, Fenton didn't start putting stamps on their stuff, like visible big time stamps until the 1940s. So, Well, and there was, when we were doing a little bit of research on it, they also 
reused a lot of the same molds for different stuff and then just pulled it in a different way. Yes. Which is why these are, you can see now looking at them, you can see mm -hmm. the mold mark that this would have probably been, what, a goblet, you think? Look. Yeah. Okay, show me. I can't stand. So can you Maybe. see where that or teardrop starts to stretch? Or, yeah. You know, whatever. But you also said on the bottom there's there's mold marks, which tells me it's not from the 20s. And it's not from before 1931 or two. Yeah, you can see the seams where yeah, because it was. There was no... Yeah, there was no seamed molds until the 30s. Before that, they would pull them. I wouldn't say by hand, by by machine, but they were, there weren't mm -hmm. molds. And the way they would let them cool was they would lay them on hay. And you oh, would see wow. the hay marks on the bottom. And that's how you can mm -hmm. tell. And they also have really heavy bottoms. The fact that this is like mm -hmm. reminiscent of stemware, it's not from the 20s. It's not from before no. the 30s. Well, and you can tell where this has been pulled because you see... Jill, where that's starting to spin. Yeah. Yeah, but you so, could never right. you could never cool that on hay. It would just fall apart. Right. It would just I, So you're I didn't know the hay part. That's yeah. very interesting. Well, I mean Well, and then the 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 fact that it uh is luminescent also tells me that it's pre probably World War II. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So what right when you were like, it glows, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> so we're, we're I, Pre so here's the irony of like not knowing what something is and passing it over. This was one of the things where like I went to my grandma's house and she was like, here, take this home because she had tired of it. I have had this piece of glass for probably a decade or more. Mm. And there has been multiple times where I was like, I'm just going to donate it because it's oh. X, Y, Z. And now I've like developed this, like this, this piece, the little bud vase um, I saw in an estate sale photo and I was like, I have to find that son of a bitch. <laughs> and that was one of the first things I was like, went to the house and grabbed this because it's so interesting. It's I love and now I want to get a whole collection of these different pieces of Fenton to put on my fireplace. I'm trying have a to whole just. Yeah, I'm trying to find a um, trying to find a picture to send you on Instagram right now of the, the Fenton Haymarks. Uh, that you would see on the yes. bottom of stuff. It's really cool. And they're very, very, you can't hardly see them, but they're there. Um, I have a piece of Fenton somewhere that has them on them. I'll have to just shoot you a picture. Oh, you have to send it to me after. But yeah. so the logo you would be looking for, freaking hate Fenton. Um, the logo, <laughs> the logo is evil because they've changed it so much over the years, trying to be fancy. Um, but right when Fenton all of a sudden became, uh, you were saying a, a middle-class person's, thing was around mm -hmm. the 50s because now all of a sudden glass went up in value post-war mm -hmm. yeah yay war now we're nuclear families exactly um they had this evil oval i'm drawing it out for you mm -hmm. and it would either look like this or this excuse my toddler handwriting <laughs> it's okay um it would look like you have like an oval and an F with no uh -huh. no writing or Fenton and an oval. And then they would do this evil, evil thing. Um, 1940s, oh. 1980s. Uh, it went four through eight. And that's the only thing you could do uh, to date that shit. <laughs> People be like, yeah. How can you tell me what exact year this Pyrex came from? I'm like, because th there's clear indications. Yeah, but I have Fenton glassware and it's very expensive and you can't tell me when it comes from. I'm like, Fenton can't even tell you where it comes from. 
No, they never intended for it to. That's like no, Tupperware. That's, like, uh, like yeah. well, okay. Not Tupperware, but like clear Rubbermaid becoming collectible at some yeah. point. Yeah. Like, because it's just, it was utilitarian and it was a way to get people to spend money. Oh, yeah. Just like, you know, I was talking, um, I feel bad for my friends because now they're just like captive audience to facts, which is not a new thing for them. But I was talking to one of my friends. She went to the Goodwill with me the other day and I started to, I bought, or I was talking about how I found a piece of porcelain at this Goodwill and I went down the, the porcelain vomit of like being like, well, did you know that porcelain wasn't ever sold outside of a whole set? And this is what drove the bridal registry industry. And I was just like, she's literally just like deer in the headlights. What? See, and I get the opposite. Everybody's like, what is this? What is it? Is it valuable? Do you like it? Do you want it? And I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck that is. (laughs) Never seen it. Never seen it. Guys, I'm not the one that retains that. That's Sam. I just grab it if it's pretty. Mm-hmm. Damn info dumps. Like push my yeah. It's a, always from the time I was like four or five years old. I've just always been like, hi. I know a lot about this. Do you want to know all the things I know about this? Too bad. Yeah, I just have that photographic memory where I can tell you where you can find mm-hmm. it. Oh, yeah. see, I'm the opposite. I I can tell you generalize like how you can find it, but I know the history of stuff, so mm-hmm. it makes search engines real helpful for me because people will be like i searched for this for days and i can't find it i had one girl last night who's like i'm about to slam my face into a glass window help i'm like what is it and she's like i can't find it i can't find it anywhere i typed in all these things and i was like what did you search for she's like i searched pyrex bowl pyrex bowl mushroom pyrex bowl mushroom blue pyrex bowl and i took one look at it i was like forest fancies and she was like god damn it how (laughs) (laughs) well the one thing that people i think I, uh, you and I are both, uh, very efficient in Googling. Yes. And the one thing, the more vague you are, the better your search results will be. If you start to narrow it down by like categories, that's where you're going to start to like, you'll get a little off track where if you start vague, you can kind of start to weave this path Mm -hmm. through the information that'll end up leading you to where you need to be. Which is why I love it. I love to go down this rabbit hole. And one of the things I tried to research before we sat down was your true loves, <sighs> which is your, and I, I the name just left me because I don't want to fuck it up. Try. Not f- <laughs> Victrola's, not Victrola's. Good you job. Don't like- okay. I was like, it left me because I didn't want to disappoint you. Yes, yes photographs. I don't just have Victrolas. I've got uh, Decca's, Wurlitzer's. I've got um, this one over here is a Victrola, my big one. Her name is Chester. I love her dearly. I oh, love her. Hi, Chester. Um, yeah. I, I, God, Chester was my birthday present this past year. And she's, Ooh, yeah, she's my cabinet phonograph. And she's loud. Loud, loud. So explain to me. I am, I am a layman when okay. it comes to these. Explain sure. to me what that is a cabinet phonograph oh jesus christ um how much time do you have (laughs) (laughs) is it just something that like it holds things like you can store stuff inside of it was it just no okay see i know nothing (laughs) i wish i could like scoot her over here except for she weighs like a hundred she weighs more than me (laughs) she weighs like 150 pounds i can't just like over here she scratched my wood floor um i can (laughs) i can do it this way um Back it up further, Billy. Don't don't info dump too hard. I was about to be like, oh, there's and things. Hold on, back. Oh, 
Okay. So in uh, 18, <laughs> 1868, around that time, Edison had started fooling around with, um, I guess, in, in general, just recording sound. Um, Alexander Graham Bell, of course, had started with the whole phone thing. And he was like, this is a great idea, but I want to record it. Um, <laughs> Edison was a horrible person, everybody. For anybody listening, Edison was a garbage human. Um, and he kind of abandoned the idea. He started trying to you know, fuck around with it a bit. And then was like, eh, I don't know. Worked on a few other projects, came back to it in 1878. Um, 1878 is when the uh, Edison gramophone came out. And what that was, was it's a small horn. It's about this big and it takes wax cylinders or wax yes. and vinyl cylinders. And you can record directly onto those. Um, those were never really produced to be in households. And if they were in someone's household, they were upper echelon of society the 1% of the 1%. Um, his assistant, Emil, uh, decided that he wanted to make it more accessible and took that um, cylinder idea and made a disc out of it and said, Edison, I need you to find a way to play the disc. So the disc was made before the phonograph was made. Phonograph came out in uh, 1888, and it kind of really took off from there. You could record anything onto shellac. And it's pressed oh. shellac. And shellac back then was very accessible um, and, and pretty cheap. I mean, I wouldn't say pretty cheap in the grand scheme. I would say, like, it was a little splurge, but the upper echelons of society didn't have to be involved. They, it's, it's everybody's thing. Mm -hmm. um, phonographs work by physical amplification, so while a record player like today would have a turntable that is electric, and then you have your stylus, which comes down onto a vinyl disc, which has grooves in it, what happens is that needle then ticks up on top of two electrodes, and those vibrate, and that sound comes out your electric speakers. If you retrograde that back to how it started, shellac discs have those same bumps, but the needles used on phonographs are just steel. And what it has is called a reproducer. And it's like a tiny drum. And that takes the sound and vibrates it to that drum. That drum then has an arm that is hollow and amplifies it into a horn. So that big oh, horn that you see is the full amplification of that tiny little drum that holds that needle. So it runs over the grooves, it does that, whatever. So a cabinet was one of the first things you could have in the home. I have a Victrola VV210. Um, it came out in the early 1920s. And that one, the horn is actually flipped under into the cabinet. And I can control the volume by opening and closing the doors of my oh. Victrola. <laughs> um, and then on the left side of my Victrola, it's got um, 10 little slots that you can stick 10 little, you know, discs in i don't keep Jill's any laughing at me because i'm losing my fucking mind well i'm right just now. thinking i have a friend and she has a victoria that her grandma had given her and mm -hmm. i think it's probably the same one you have because she's got the little discs and stuff like that too she might actually have um a vv vv220 if i'm not mistaken there were a lot more made of that one because the vv210 was still a little too ornate for some people so there was a, a mid, there was a low, mid, and an upper tier of Victrolas as far as styling goes. Um, they released the VV210 um, to be the first midline product for Victrola to be put in the house so that you could entertain without needing to know how to play an instrument. 
So now middle-class families were having parties. You didn't have to be super rich to entertain or hire uh, somebody who could play an instrument. And that's, that's what I have. But then they found that people were like, oh crap, I want mid-grade pricing, but I want it to look nicer, you know, because they're like, I'm middle class, mm-hmm. but I want to have something fancy too. I want to look fancy. I want to yeah. look fancy. And then the VV220s came out and they were way fancy <laughs> as far as look. I prefer the VV210 because I, um, my house is mid-century modern and it blends mm-hmm. right in. That yeah. color tone just it works for me. The clean lines. And I still get to play my pretty hundred year old. Well, this makes this type of musical instrumentation, like not you know what I mean? Like to get it to project makes so much sense for the music that was happening at the time. Absolutely. Because this is like pre-electric guitars. And if you listen back to like Eric Dawes episode or Terry Foster's episode, we talk about that transition into Fender and the, the difference between a huge guitar to these now electric guitars, which makes sense about this music. It was all about filling the room with that either big band or jazz or whatever was happening at the time in music. This would have lent itself directly to making that sound the best it sounds, which is why you love it, because you love jazz. I love, well, I just love music in general. I'm a huge, um, I guess, I, I don't want to say an audiophile, but I kind of am. Like, I mm-hmm. love the science of sound. I think it's really, really interesting. I have, um, my partner and I both have this issue. I'm trying to get him diagnosed as quickly as possible so I can nerd <laughs> out with him. Uh, but I, I look at him, he says things sometimes, and I just stare at him, and I'm like, hello. You have- <laughs> Like, you need, hey, <laughs> like, come on, man. Um, because he is an audio freak. I mean, he's my mixer is supposed to be for concerts. This is this is not for Skype. He's like, this is fine. This will work. Let's yeah, and I'm this. over here like, I don't need that, sir. And he's like, yeah, you do. Like, he can't handle <laughs> not having like good audio and all this other stuff. And we like the mathematics behind tempo and sound. And we only listen to things that mathematically make sense. We have a hard time listening to things that weren't thought out well. Um, And we really love rap. We love Mm -hmm. rap in this house because it makes the most sense to our ears. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We love jazz from back in the day because that's when composers sat down and were like, let's make something new. And they weren't following this idea of mainstream media because it wasn't as easily recognized they didn't have cell phones they didn't have computers they didn't have you know car radios screaming at them what they should like so they had to make up their own Mm -hmm. ideas of what they liked and everyone sounded different i mean you stan kenton is my favorite person on earth um his music sounds like it comes from the 60s he produced things in the 1930s and 40s wow yeah and that's just because his brain worked like that he was a very quiet soul very chill and whatnot but the stuff you listen to sounds like it comes from the incredibles like oh yeah like the big the horn section all that stuff when you leave somebody with that kind of brain alone and you don't like dilute their brain in any way the shit they come up with is insane so our house is filled with jazz but also we love like foxtrot and we have a lot of weird um interesting Indian, Asian, diaspora type of vibes going on because they had shellac players around the same time. 
So they produced a lot of shellac discs and my, my mother-in-law has been buying us a lot of shellac lately <laughs> because we're like, we like this. And she's a wonderful human. She's like, cool. And then just like, that's what we I get for presents that. now. <laughs> you can't tell your mother-in-laws what you like, because then they'll just be like, I've told her a couple of years ago. I'm like, I like llamas. This is my purse. <clears throat> this is my new purse cute llama bag i'm just uh-huh. saying i'm just saying yep so yeah we listen to a little bit of everything it's not it's not just jazz do i have a do i love jazz of course do i listen to jazz on my victrola absolutely am i uh bumping rap during work totally 100 percent. so it depends but keep in mind victrolas weren't just cabinets um this is my only cabinet victrola and i own five all of my other ones are portable Oh, wow. Yeah, and I bought them all broken, and I fixed them. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love, I have, if you scroll really far back in TikTok, I've repaired all of mine by hand. I rip them apart, I take the springs out, I grease them, I put them back together. It's always so much fun, and people, this is why I could never be a reseller. They're like, hey, how much do you want for that one? Hell no. Get your eyeballs um, off of my stuff. I love these. Yeah, yeah. Because it was, yeah, it and was that something you self-taught? Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah. Whenever I put something like that much effort into something in my home, it generally is going to be there for its entire existence with me. Yeah, yeah. It started because I bought a Victor. Uh, my partner has always looked at a Victrola inside of a store we go to often called Anastasia's in Philly. Right when you walk in the front door, there is a VV220 sitting in the right hand corner and he always every time we walk in the store mind you we were in there like twice a week before covid he'd be like we're gonna have one of those in our house one day be like okay so for our anniversary i was like i'm gonna get him a portable phonograph because he's talked nonstop about this i got it in and it was broken it would play but not well and i was like oh my god i can't give him a broken i can't give him a broken present this is ridiculous and i've already put money into it and it was sold as is on an auction shit so i was like well i gotta learn to fix it so Come to find out, uh, there's only like, I don't know, I think the same amount of player piano fixers as there are phonograph fixers in the United States. Wow. I could not find f- anything. I found forums from like 2006. Oh. They were talking about stuff. I couldn't get in contact with any of these people. And I finally found a guy named Walt in Scranton, PA, who would talk on the phone with me for hours. I'm like, dude, I have no idea what I'm doing. Be like, okay, great. He's in his 80s. We love people like Walt. We love Walt. Yeah, he's in his 80s and he walked me through a lot of stuff, but I wound up doing a majority of it by myself and then I got addicted. I was like, I can make a thing make music. And then it just (laughs) went, wee! And then I like bet on one that was a a Deca and I got that one and that one has a Bakelite horn. Whoa. Your eyes got so big. (laughs) Uh, the big light horn it's over there and i got a birch and then i got my other one from the 50s i still don't know when that's from i got a children's phonograph that is actually electric you plug it in because kids are annoying and you don't want to have to constantly wind their shit so it's just easier to have on off switch and then just Mm -hmm. give them their own shellacs and be like stay in your own mom and dad are watching a tv show Please stop um, talking to me. <laughs> I love children. I really do. But every parent has their breaking point where they're just kind of like, I love you so much. Go mm-hmm. away. Yeah. Like Go me away, at 550 this, this morning. morning. Yeah. They're so yeah. cute. Please go away. And I just, I was imploring to him, please go back to sleep. <laughs> I haven't even made coffee yet. 
Please go back. My go go juice yeah. isn't in my Just veins. Just think yet. of that Please times two. Yeah, Jill has twins. Oh, Jill. Jill, how old are your twins? They're 13 now. That's better. Old enough to be filled yeah. with angst. I don't remember like the really their first two years of life. That's okay. That's PTSD. okay. PTSD. My daughter would always ask, I'm like, mm, yeah, yeah, if that's what you remember, that's what happened. That's exactly are they, what, what Are they fraternal? Uh, boy, girl. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you somebody, get... It's in a previous episode. Somebody goes, so they're identical, right? Um... And Jill goes, no, they're a boy and a girl. Yeah, but they're identical? Like, they're the... Yeah, when they were first born, my husband... <laughs> I finally was just like, what has a penis? What has a vagina? Tell me how that's the same. Yeah, my head tipped your like, hat and you bitted the lady. And then my husband's do. like, okay, you need I get it now. Yeah. I, I mean, Time I don't. To go. One baby, that's a lot already. Two babies and then first time mom. <sighs> Here's the best part. We found out when I was six weeks pregnant. And my husband was looking at them like I thought something was wrong because the doctor because I went in and I said, what's the chances it's twins? Because my husband the whole time kept saying it's twins. I just know. I'm he just feel, felt it. And he the doctor was like eight percent. And I was like, all right, like those odds. We go in there and the doctor's like, oh, I thought something was wrong with the baby. Oh, and no. I was just like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Are they OK? Like, can you see anything? And my husband points at the screen. He's like, is that another one? Oh, God. And doctor goes. Uh huh. Next thing I know, I hear Jill breathe. Jill, you need to drink this. Jill, Jill, open your eyes. Jill, can you hear me? Oh, I had fainted. No, I don't blame you. You're already nervous, and the hormones. And then I had to go back to work after that, and oh, I literally no. sat, and I just was like, huh. you just dissociated like, for the rest of the day. <laughs> everybody's like, "Are you okay?" And I just no. held up the ultrasound picture, and then they were like, "Oh." oh Jill needs a moment by herself. Did you have them early or did you go full uh, They were four weeks early. That's not that bad. That's, no. that's not bad. No, the perinatologist, I had to see him and he was like, I'd like them to stay in for two weeks. I said, I'd like to kick you in the dick. <laughs> you know, I don't. I, I had friends who have had their twins early, early, like too early. Yeah. And they still did fine and everything. But I, <sighs> I watched my mom pregnant with my sister, just one baby and her back. And it, oh my mm -hmm. God. And I was like, and then at the time we had a family friend who was pregnant with triplets and I was like, oh, oh no, no. And so people all the time are like, oh, wow, it's crazy. You grew up in the South and you made it through high school and college and into full adulthood without any accidental kids. I was like, listen, <laughs> I watched my mother. I was, I, my, I was 11 when my sister was born. I was like, I almost 12. Like I watched my mother go through full term pregnancy with gestational diabetes at 45 years old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I watched our family friend do the same thing, but with triplets. And I was like, mm -hmm. best birth control in the world. I looked at that and I was like, never. Mm -hmm. never. My mom had, <laughs> I have a 15 year old baby brother. And my mom was 41 when she had him. Oh, God. And after she, yeah, Jill, don't do it. Jill's like, I don't want it. <laughs> So she, I I was fifteen and I Honey, watched we're both my mom getting fixed had a baby and I told her a couple years later I went mom I just wanted you to know that like birth control was a lot cheaper like for me oh yeah and she's like shut up 
because I'm an ass forever. But she, I love my little brother, but I was just, I didn't have my son until for, and I'm damn near an old maid where we, where we, where we are. Yeah. (laughs) I had my son at, I was 27 about to turn 28. Yeah. That's, that's how old I was with the twins. I was 27. Yeah, my grandmother was forever reminding me that my uterus was just going to drop out of my body. Well, it was funny too because where we live also, I dated for my husband and I dated for six years before Mm -hmm. we got married because we knew we'd do it eventually. We just weren't in a hurry. Mm -hmm. And when we first moved here, everybody's like, you're not married yet? And I'm like, well, no, we're we're getting married the end of the year. And they're like, oh, well, how long have you been together? I'm like, "Eh, seven years. They're like, you mean you actually know them? They're like, what? Why? So an average for uh, Billy, for our uh, area, an average courtship is like six months. No, that, I mean, I'm from the Plateaus, North Carolina. I feel you. True story. You understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel it's, it's no, don't worry because I was the only, only lady grandchild. Um, It was all eyes on me forever. All the time. Every Christmas. The moment I turned 18, never ended. When are you bringing a boy home? I'm like, okay, you need to. Please stop. Now, my mom had me when she was 33. So talk about old maid in that area. She was already Mm. telling the system to shut the fuck up because she had a really good job as a, um, as a, what do you call it? Now it would be like front desk help human, but uh, she was a legitimate, nope, travel agent. Administrative travel agent for um, Delta for seven years, eight years. And she was making mad money. Uh, I was thinking, oh, concierge services oh. like that but she mm-hmm. was the full travel agent back then and she was just so deep in her job people were like when are you having kids she's like <laughs> with what mm-hmm. she's like i'm saving money stupid so by the time she had me everybody was like oh so she's just going to be one and done and our whole family lost their collective shit when she was 45 and she's like i'm having a baby and everybody's <laughs> like are you on drugs and she's like i mean well butrin <laughs> yes i was like you're old enough for that and i was like i love that uh like two years after my sister was born my mom got her first aarp solicitation <laughs> yes oh yeah uh-huh. i rub that in as much as i can like yeah so no my whole life i grew up with my extended family being like when are you gonna have kids and then my parents being like do not do not <laughs> for the love of god my mom's like I- your dad and i got married at 23 but we traveled for 10 years 10 years of solid mm-hmm. travel. And she's like, you want to know why we had you? I was like, do tell. And she's like, we got bored. I was like, what? And she's like, we went everywhere. We could think that we could go and travel and do everything. And she was like, I checked that off my list and then went, I think I want a kid. I was like, you know what? That's probably the healthiest way to do it is to not yeah, have I any mean, like regrets behind it or anything. She's like, I wanted to travel. I wanted to backpack. I wanted to do things I knew I couldn't do with a young child because it would be dangerous and she did. She stayed in hostels and stuff. I'm like, yeah, don't do that with a baby. Um, no, bad, bad. She crossed idea. all that off. And then she was like, your dad and I kind of lose each other. And we were like, kids. <laughs> we're settled. The final frontier. Yeah, we're so- all right. Really cool. So, yeah, growing up, my mom was like, no, no babies for you until at least 30. I was like, you know, that's fair. Because I've done. I know. That's what I tell my kids. I was like, there is. N- I said, no I will rush. not be that mom to be like, when is the grandbaby coming? When oh, is the grandbaby coming? I'm like, I don't care if you never have children. Like, as long as you are happy and can take care of yourself, I have done my job. <laughs> job done. Yeah. yeah. Now, now nobody talks about it. They already know. My whole extended family knows. They're like, don't, don't count on Billy. <laughs> don't count on Billy for the babies for at least another three years, four years five years and now it's got to the point where they just kind of go maybe never and i'm like that's maybe. okay 
That's fine. You know, my body. I do yeah. what I want. <laughs> Not every woman has to be a mother. Crazy how that works. Also, adoption's real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you can be a mother and it doesn't have to be yours. Yeah. I just I have a lot of youngins I I talk to and and emotionally take care of that are between the ages of sixteen and twenty one. There you mm-hmm. go. That are like, hi, big mm-hmm. sister. I'm like, hello. <laughs> I'll yeah, help you because your parents are boomers and they suck. Um, <laughs> it is. I will be there for you for sure. But anyway, yeah, we always get off on tangents. Sorry, guys. That's okay. Yeah, that's how this works. Speaking of going off on tangents and doing things you don't really need to do, it's time for my favorite part of the show. And Jill's favorite, the estate sale walkthrough. Eat it. It hurts my soul. (laughs) You're going to hurt. It's a good one today. It's a good hurt. And uh, it couldn't not include Pyrex, so I'm sorry in advance. No, you're not. You say that all the time, but you're not. You enjoy it. Yeah, I do. Oh, shit. So, So those of you that are new to the show... Each Jill's punching her microphone because I hate this. Jill, stop <laughs> she's it. already mad. So each week, I myself alone with no accomplices come up with an estate sale. You know, walkthrough. one of these days. Oh my god, I'm gonna do the walkthrough. All right, do it, do it, do, do it. it. Just it won't be really life. good at all. So <laughs> they are completely hypothetical, made up, manufactured from my own imagination. And it's an evil imagination. Each step, there are multiple choices or one or two choices, and you can only pick one. The catch is everything at these estate sales are most definitely your favorite things. If you're going to ask me, well, Sam, is there this and this there? Also, precisely, it is there. Get ready, Billy. Welcome. I love and hate this so much. Go. <laughs> so today we are driving around Pennsylvania. We're shopping at garage and estate sales, and we have the whole morning to shop, and we're ready to spend some money. Let's do it. We come to an estate sale being held in an old grocery store. We walk in, and just past the cashier's stand, we see piles of ephemera. There are several piles to pick through. Which one do you pick through? There is a funeral or medical ephemera pile, hardware store grocer pile, or florist and bakery ephemera. Funerary, all day, every day. I'm also going funerary, but my heart also wants the florist, but I'm going with the funeral. I'm going to bakery. Oh. What? Jill loves to bake. I do love to bake. Yeah, but funeral. <laughs> yeah, that's the funeral not, stuff. She's not, she's not a. Uh, not my thing. She's not on yet. We'll get her. I know. There'll be that one thing. We'll get her. We leave this sale and we head down the road to a series of garage and rummage sales. We practically jump out of the moving vehicle to get to the table loaded with Pyrex. Sorry, I had to. Amongst the treasures are your noticeably popular collections that we see on top and go, eh. But under the table, seemingly bastardized by the person running the sale, are the rare pieces of Pyrex. There is pink butterprint blue stripe or barcode or a turquoise starburst casserole oh my god what did i do to you (laughs) what (laughs) which pieces do you pick oh my god um jill first i can't no sam you go first i am going to take home the turquoise starburst no because I like um, the look of it, but I also hate myself for it. Because I also love pink, but I love, I have Amish butter print, 
upstairs that we got from a sale that was basically untouched, a complete set, and um, the Cinderella bowls. And uh, yeah, it's between, for me, it was between this and the barcode. Billy, Jill? Oh, God. Barcode. Yeah, barcode just because I think our generation is not a big fan of it. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. The, the butter print and things like that, people see as being a more popularized favorite. Mm-hmm. And so the need to stab somebody in a line waiting for it is a lot less for the barcodes. Yes. But the amount of money you could make off your after the resell uh-huh. for the barcode is yeah. so much higher. <laughs> Jill, I'm sorry. It's funneled down to you. I know. Shit. I'll just do the barcode. <laughs> Good choice. I mean, Good we choice. could sell it together. It'll be fine. We'll split it 50-50. No, it's, it's fine. Cool. It's fine. You guys have split custody. One okay. winter. Fine. Yeah. Okay, the last Oh, place... you think I'm keeping that? I'm selling that. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only oh, no. reason I bought the complete set of Amish butter print was for that reason. Yep. That's it. <laughs> Um, all right. The last place we stop at is a strip mall that was used as storage. Peeking out from underneath a furniture blanket is a bright bit of paint. Pulling it back, it reveals two particular items. It is a circus stool or stand, an elephant circus or s- stool, or antique wooden mallets that were used to pound in circus steaks. I hate you. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Even if I, I never even you. wanted any of these things, now I want them both. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Billy. No, no, it's fine. I don't <laughs> know if I'm... No, it's fine. This is the last time you'll talk never to Never coming on the show again. <laughs> <laughs> I already had your word. I got it in... I have it recorded. Damn it! Um, <laughs> heh. Um, mm, it's hard. No, see, here's the thing. It's not hard. <laughs> here's... Uh, I mm, without an without a full info dump elephant stand, and that is because mallets having to deal with the circus inside show, uh, the ones that drive stakes in. Um, nobody really collects those. The mallets that people collect are the strongman mallets for the the game. I was yeah. I was stuck between the two to choose. Yeah, but ever a fan uh, of niche and not collectible. <sighs> But also, I don't want the elephant stand either because P.T. Barnum is burning in hell. And I'm it's a small family-owned circus, not P.T. Barnum. I'm going to take the elephant stand because I'm going elephant to turn it stand. into a coffee table. I'm going to get a piece of glass cut. Shabam. Right there. Mm-hmm. Jill, don't look so dejected. Jesus Christ. It's every time. It's every like, she's fucking so time. Upset. You look like you're so tortured by this I question, Jill. Uh, Jill, do you even collect this shit? <laughs> I will now. I'm, I'm going to go with the mallets. Mm-hmm. That's fair. It depends on what kind they are. I, d- I could go on forever about those. <laughs> <laughs> depends on what kind. Are they canvas wrapped? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, they're not. They're just wood. No. If they're just wood, no. If they're canvas wrapped still and it's still a little bit intact, I might have to go with those instead. But otherwise, elephant. My new elephant table. Yes. Okay. We love you much. Have (laughs) a glorious Sunday. Thank you for being our friend. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys.
you know, that first uh, interview we had with her, you and I were under that little bit of like a time crunch. Oh, yeah. Because we were going live to announce the Patreon. Yes. And we were like both watching the clock and trying to pay it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Make sure we, I didn't want her to feel rushed, first of all. No. And then it was like, we were, we had such a great time talking that. Well, yeah, we clicked like instantly. instantly. And so then you can tell in the first episode how we got off topic <laughs> or trying to come back. But then we were just like, well, let's go. So it was nice because then we had, you know, we were friends, we were definitely friends and we were speaking uh, over the course of the week, but in between this interview and the first yeah. one. <laughs> and I sent Billy a message and I said, okay. Here's the itinerary for the second part. <laughs> it was very nice. And I felt like we really covered a lot of great stuff in this second part. Yeah. Her knowledge base was wild. Holy shit. Wild. It, it was like mini Google. Yes. Yeah. Like she was just spitting off, like the way she'd spit off dates and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't even remember like when anything happened. I No, never. And that's um one of the things is like I we we talk about uh brain memory things in her episode and uh -huh. like the way my brain remembers things is kind of datey but not like what's that um there's that those twins or whatever that can recall like exact dates in history oh yeah yeah it's not like that but um we you guys I was laughing as I was listening back to this episode <laughs> and listening to the conversation you guys were having about the Fenton glasses I'm going to get it and then coming back with it it was very funny yeah that was <laughs> I always I was just like and then she just goes I was like oh. And then it's like that moment where I'm like, I don't know what to say or do. I don't know what this is. There's so much of it. And then I'm I like, come back with two vases. <laughs> You're so proud of them. Like, no. <laughs> so I, I talk about in a lot of episodes about my grandmother. Yes. Right. So I called her today to ask her. This is so <laughs> ironic and funny. And she doesn't listen to the show. So I can say it. So I call her and I ask her. If she collects carnival glass and those types of things, because she didn't grow up with a lot of stuff, right? Right. This lady says to me, I don't collect carnival glass. And I laughed into the phone and I said, yes, you do. It's, <laughs> you do collect it. She goes, no, I don't like the shimmery bits. I said, well, under the umbrella of depression glass, I said, carnival glass was made by Fenton. You collect Fenton. You, I, I, I know you have carnival glass in your house because you have some from her. And then she just did like <laughs> the grandma changed the subject where she was just done talking about it. And she goes, well, I don't know about that, but I do. And then she starts talking about some other glassware and she goes, she to correct me. She goes, I collect art glass and etched glass. And I'm like, no. But whatever. So I just let it. We talked. We had a wonderful conversation. We talked about family. It's one history. of those secrets you have to put under the carpet, Sam. I can't. You I guess can't, now I have to, you I have can't to go into hiding because she'll be real pissed that I just disclosed that. <laughs> were you talking to her as you were staring at a piece that you gotten from her? Like, no, I literally am looking at it. I was right actively there. rolling my eyes. So I wasn't <laughs> looking at anything in particular. But we talk about. Um, Interesting thing. And then you posted about this glassware today. Uh, yeah. Which I is did. funny because I was doing the research. You posted that. We were not talking to each other. You no, were posting. No, we weren't. And I didn't even know. I didn't. I was going to start looking, but then I was like, I don't even know. What would you Google? Well, exactly. Mm -hmm. I'm like snack plates, 1950. Like, there was, I was. Well, getting, there's, there's so many. Well, Snack yeah, plates there are. And I didn't even know they were really a thing until 
my friend, she was like, I want some, I need some snack plates. And I'm like, what are snack plates? And then she told me, I was like, oh, I want those. But apparently past Jill thought she needed a shit ton for her elegant parties that she was going to have. Well, what happened to you was you went to the DI and the DI must have just gotten a house that was filled with these. They must have because they were, there was at least like five or six different patterns. And there's still like over a hundred mm-hmm. collectively. Yeah. Between the Goodwill and the Deseret Industries. Cause I went to the Goodwill the other day and they still, they have some that are the same pattern that you have. Yeah. Which is because Jill has, she posted this picture that we got a message from a listener that was like, oh my God, is that Hobnail Hazel Atlas? I know. I'm like, yes. And then I was doing this research and saw a Hobnail Hazel Atlas and went, that's at the DI. (laughs) You're like, ding, ding, ding. Drink every time there's a (laughs) connection. (laughs) Oh man, we shouldn't, our livers wouldn't like it. But so the, so interesting, it was founded in 1902 in Washington, Pennsylvania. With a was a large producer of machine molded glass, which on these that's why I was like, I don't know. There's no print marks. It, you can tell it was in a mold, but there was nothing. Yeah, to there's it. no the the H A. Yeah, there mm-hmm. <laughs> for Hazel Atlas. Yeah, but so by the 1900s, Hazel Atlas had 15 plant producing glass. Like fifth, like that's a that's lot. lot. Back in that time, especially. Yeah. To have 15 plants across the the nation. Yeah. And it was so and it was a list of towns that included Ada, Oklahoma, Clarksburg, West Virginia, Montgomery, Alabama, Oakland, California, Pomona, California, and Zanesville, Ohio, which is funny. Well, seriously, back in that time, too, it's like one side and the other. Yeah. Which both was, sides of the Mississippi were making depression <laughs> glass. Just messing the whole country up with it. Getting us all confused. <laughs> but Hazel Atlas made large quantities of depression glass in an array of patterns from the 20s to the 40s, along with uh, the white milk glass inserts used in ink or zinc fruit jar lids. Yeah, for canning. Yeah. They were re- before with the reusable aluminum lids with the rubber seal. Yeah. You would have that in a rubber gasket. Mm-hmm. I've seen some of those and I didn't know what they were because it was just that. There's a company that makes a plastic version of it now. It's a plastic uh, jar topper with a rubber gasket modeled after. Oh, that's genius. Good job, guys. Yeah, nice job. Keeping it up. I know. Keeping the... <laughs> bringing back the classics. Um, but so, and many times, many types of the milk glass, cold cream jars and salve containers also were done this way. Which you see a lot of in the wild still to this day. Yeah. Those little milk glass cosmetic containers. And I run to those. Yes. Like, bad. Mm -hmm. But so Atlas was the brand of the company's most popular line of fruit jars um, from the home canning, which I've you've seen those. Yeah, I've seen them out in the wild. Yeah. And then so Hazel Atlas produced uh, dozens of glassware patterns and styles with unique names. When identifying a Hazel Atlas piece, look for the Hazel Atlas mark usually placed on the back of a product um, is an A nestled underneath the H. And the mark was reported first used in 1923, according to the trademark office records. Um, But in 1957, Hazel Atlas was the third largest producing glass containers in the country. Wow. That's like... That's wild. Like... Titans. They were at the top of it. Yeah, they were like... 
setting the precedence for glass. Living life good. Yeah, they were. No shit. They probably had fine china and not glass. (laughs) They were like, I'm not going to use that. (laughs) I've seen how it's made. I know. I know what we do. (laughs) Um, And it became subsidiary of the Continental Can Company. The purchase was challenged um, by the U.S. Supreme Court under the Clayton Antitrust Act, but this judgment failed due to the government not finding enough cause for an issue. So I looked it up because I was like, that's a lot of lingo that I'm I know. Not I need it. With. I need it dumbed down for me. So the Clayton Antitrust Act followed a different act, and they basically both deal with monopolizing a market. I was just going to say. So the initial act was for like uh, grain producers at the time had kind of cornered the market. So they were all padding each other's pockets by selling to each other at this price and then raising Raising the price. Mm -hmm. And then they were all kind of selling and distributing and growing and had monopolized the market. And what happened when Hazel Atlas sold to the Continental Canning Company because Hazel Atlas was one of the th- largest glass producers and the Continental Canning Company was also a large glass producer, they were cornering the market on canning and glass production. And so the U.S. Supreme Court was like, hey, this looks like it falls under the Clayton Antitrust Act, right. which was the, the, the follow-up to the first act. And because the first one w- had a bunch of holes punched through it by lawyers. So there was this follow-up one that was a lot stronger but they couldn't find enough standing to take the case all the way through to prosecute them, to be like, right. basically, hey, you've created a monopoly. You need to knock it off. Which still happens today with a lot of companies. Yeah. Like, so they were like, because there's so many similarities between the two. They're like, hey, you guys are both titans in the glass yeah. world. And then Hazel, and then it was sold again. And then we all know what's happened to glass now yeah. this far into it. But another thing that I started looking up with glass was we talk about and we hear about from a lot of different people, straw cooling or hay cooling of glass. Yeah. (laughs) So when I when she was talking about it, I just was like, huh? Because like when you think of hay, like putting in a hay, I thought it would burn. Would incinerate. So I, I, I phoned a couple friends on this. Did you? um, Because there was some there was some conflicting stories. Which I find happens a lot in the antiquities community. Especially when you are not 100% sure right. how it was done. Right. Which then you were just like, and then that, I think that's when the assumptions start where it's like, well, this makes sense. This, with this would probably how they would do it. And then it would just, it just snows balls from there. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened with this straw method. So I called my uncle and I asked him, he used to work in a glass blowing factory. And while he didn't know or had never heard of this term, he worked in blowing glass and was around molten glass. And molten glass sits at 2,000 to 25 or 2,000 to 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. So, and the the catch point of hay or straw is a lot lower than that. So if you were to lay a piece of molten glass onto that, it would obviously combust immediately. And the glass shape would fall as it was cooling. Right. So I found an article that I'm just going to read bits from. It's from patternglass.com. And one of the first things that they say that you learn about glass making is these straw marks. It's an antique phrase and it doesn't really mean what it sounds like. But it's left over from an old husband's tale about testing the glass to see if it hardened by laying it on a piece of straw. 
but that's not oh. right. It was a kind of folklore. Yeah. So what they really mean when they use this term is they're referring to the line at the bottom of a glass mm-hmm. piece as the sheer line. So in glass making, and especially in carnival glass, the glass is heated up in a gigantic vat, right, of molten right. glass. And then there's like a large rod that's stuck in and spun, and spun into yeah. the viscous material. And then that's brought out, put into the mold. And then if you've ever watched glass blowing, when they take those big shears and clip the piece off of the pole, anytime you cut anything, it forms that ridge, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so what happens is it's um, it's cut in this blob state. So if the glass isn't the right consistency, this molten material, it has to be like honey to a honey stick. And if it's not the right, it won't stick. If it's too cool, it won't come off, essentially. Right, right. So they're, they're, they take the glass out. They go to put it in one of the molds for the glass and they cut it. And that leaves that uh, shear line. And the shears snip the glass. It's like cutting taffy with scissors. And it makes the glass at the point of contact cool slightly. And this puckers and pulls together at the snip spot. That cool spot is still on the glass as it falls into the mold. The press then comes down, fills the glass into the nooks and crannies of the mold. The plunger is removed and that shear line has been flattened out and down in the bowl. And it is usually found on the inside of the bowl, but it could be anywhere. It is usually one to three inches long depending on the size of the gather that was snipped. It does not reflect light, so it shows up as a line and the little groove can be felt when you run your fingernail over it. So that's where the shear line straw thing comes from. And my uncle had an interesting point of saying that this this straw thing may be confused with a type of pottery making Mm -hmm. where you would lay pottery out on top of straw. straw. I have seen that technique done many times. Yeah. Because it get then it gets that texturized look. Yeah. So yeah, that would So that could uh, um I am obviously Nora's jelly. No. Carnival glass expert. They're not. But a couple different places I saw on the internet today were that and a, another thing we talk about in this interview that has to do with the internet was and I remember seeing this person vividly for the first time when she was married to Marilyn Manson. Yeah, I remember The VMA <laughs> was it the VMAs? Yeah. When she wears the see-through dress? No, wasn't that Or was Rose. that Evan Rachel? Or was it, or, I'll Google it. We're talking about <laughs> a, the ever-glamorous Dita Von Teese. Yeah, I do remember her quite a bit. And I just remember when she started dating Marilyn Manson, I was just like, no, girl. <laughs> no. He's just an artist. I know. Well, now I know that. Back then, I didn't. <laughs> I you thought shit. he was eating rabbits and stuff on stage. Might have done. But so Dita Von Teese was born Heather Sweet in 1972 in West Branch, Michigan. Born a blonde, Dita was enamored with the glamour and style of the golden age of cinema, which I think a lot of us were. It just yeah. was. It's captivating. I mean, I still am. Yeah. I mean, just having them get all dressy and fanced up to go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. I don't have the energy for that. No, I got all dressed up. Me and Melissa went antiquing today. You did, and, and you we both got looked all adorable. Fancy. It was fun. Thank you. Yeah, it was nice to get dressed up <laughs> I know. and a reason to leave the house. Yeah, I haven't been antiquing at an antique store in a year or more. Yeah, I went. Yeah, just a couple times. So, anyways, I went full glam, which you should. 
Yes. And we saw vintage Playboys and antique Playboys. And I was like, man, I want to collect those. Oh, God. I know. I know. Yeah. It's bad. But so she idolized the golden age of cinema and did what we all do and started emulating it in the aspects of her life. She started performing striptease in 1992. She is the biggest name in burlesque since the time of Gypsy Rose Lee. Dita is known worldwide for her lavish lavish stage shows and her costuming will stop you in your tracks. She is a fashion icon, author, designer, spokeswoman, and feminist. And she has had like, there's a, there's online, you can Google Dita Von Teese's home. Mm-hmm. And there's a, like a, she did a tour of her home last year. Oh, God. And you want to talk about maximalist, vintage, and antique decor. I mean, her house is dripping in decadence and style. Dita, if you listen to us, we would love to talk to oh you. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? Let's get Dita on the show. Operation oh. Dita Von Teese. Oh, my God. I don't think I could be. you probably pass out. I'll be like, right. this is my co-host, Jill. <laughs> She's dead. I'll just be like, eh. Uh, <laughs> but eh. it was like one of the, you know, I feel like when, when I was learning and coming into the antique world, the first kinds of things you stumble upon pinup wise are like Betty Page, mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And then Dita Von Teese. Mm-hmm. There's a stampeding buffalo above us, my child. But I was enamored by it. And then I found, you know, I've followed Dita Von Teese for a long time. And I found it charming that she was also a blonde. And like Marilyn Monroe wasn't naturally a bottle blonde. But I think it's, it's um, we all kind of metamorphosize into what we find to be the most glamorous. Yeah. I just remember when I found out she was a blonde and I was like, no, oh, she wants to be like me mm-hmm. because I have super dark hair and there's no way in hell I could ever be a blonde. No. I will, as, a, as your hairdresser, <laughs> I can officially say we try. <laughs> oh, the, oh, no, we're no. not doing it. No. I love you. God, no. But, mm-hmm. There was one time that when Jill and I were first starting our hair journey together <laughs> and we had an early Saturday morning appointment. It was 9 oh, a.m. Man, that was a bad day. And you're okay. Jill has so much hair on her head. I do. And at this time, your hair was to the middle of your back. It, it was quite long. And we were doing an all over color base to ends. And we were both hung over. <laughs> I don't know. I still to this day do not understand why we picked nine o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Because our six weeks before self thought that was a, such a good idea. And the, uh, we both are sitting there. At the time, we were not as comfortable as we are with each other now. Oh, no. And we are both very much uncomfortable and hating the entire thing. And it's 930. But it felt like we'd been sitting there for four hours. Right. And I looked in the mirror at you and I went, is this sucking so bad for you, too? And you just nodded and you went, Yeah. It is. I don't even think I just was like, I'm hung over. And you were like, oh, God, could be too. Because it's not something you could just come out and say. No. And like the whole time I was like, God, maybe I should just cancel. No, I really need to get my hair done. Oh, it's one of my favorite stories of us. I know. Yeah, my (laughs) too. Just remember, I'm like, I put makeup on so much makeup on to make me not look done. Oh, it was. And yeah, I was very much overdone for nine in the morning. Yeah. Very much. Very much. Uh, Yeah, that was, that's one of our favorite things. And to see uh, even more of our nonsense, you can, we share, we've been sharing a lot more of our day-to-day lives on our Patreon stuff with our close friends access on Instagram, 
we've been sharing a lot more of our what Jill and I do day to day. Yes. And it's been really fun to share that with you guys. So that was um, hangover story aside. That's all for this week's Curio Corner. It was info heavy, but Billy did a great job. Yeah, she knew a lot about all her stuff. So it was just like, I kept thinking, God, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to talk hangover stories, apparently? <laughs> um, Jill and I wanted to dedicate this part of the show to our patrons from Patreon. We are sending out our very first shipment of goodies this week. Oh, I can't wait. And we're ordering next month's goodies yes. this weekend. And we just wanted to thank all of you. Yes. So thank you to Julia all the way in Sweden. Jasmine in Kentucky, Kyla in Indiana, Mandy and Riley in the Sunshine State of California, and then TC Lionel, Melissa, Christina, and Erica in the great state of Idaho, the Great Potato State. <laughs> to join our Patreon and to see the tiers listed, visit the link tree in our Instagram bio, the tab on our website, themothballprophecies.com. We have monthly perks we're going to be adding for each tier with new goodies we have planned all year long. Yeah, and to see what we're up to, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Mothball Prophecies Original. Watch our latest finds on TikTok at the Mothball Prophecies. We'd love to hear about your antiques, so please send us an email at to uh, the Mothball Prophecies at gmail.com. Or you can even call us and just tell us your story at 208 208- Two seven four five two four two, and this feature is really cool because we can actually play your voicemail and your story on the show. Yes, we can't wait for that. We want to do a big thank you to our support team. Our undying love goes to Gray for making us sound good every single week and listening to all of our mistakes. <laughs> Spell check for making us look good on paper and everywhere on the internet. And as always, we hope you find some good shit. And we really hope you remember to look under the tables. Bye. See ya.